afternoon. <laughs> Delete as appropriate and welcome to Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. I, as ever, Mr. Roscoe Harold Vacant. I'm joined by my dear friend and very handsome colleague, Gil. Um, I don't have a middle name for you this week. What do we think? Uh, Poundland. Gil Poundland Rokotansky and welcome again to the show and Gil how are you how's things I'm pretty good young man how are you in sexy America do you know I'm very well I'm very well um I've had such a <laughs> in contrast I usually uh, have nothing to say in these intro these introductory bits <laughs> like oh what did you do this week um oh nothing much I was just working in that last week I've got absolutely tons of things um, have you been busy yourself? <laughs> uh, not particularly. See, this is America for you. This is it. It's the, the land of the, the something. Um, so, yeah, have you been up to much? Uh, no, I, I'm trying to get back into education. So I'm not sure how I'd handle the idea of being a mature student. <laughs> <laughs> well, mature's anyone over like 25 or something. So, I mean, yeah. that's. Uh... That's not exactly too bad, is it? Oh, you're a mature student as well, then. Um, no, because I'm not an undergraduate, so I'm not. I wouldn't be classified as a mature student. Oh well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, immature bastard. <laughs> so, since you've had a really exciting week, I'm sorry. I feel busting uh, at the seams for the first time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the entire time, I usually just go, "Oh no, did you do no?" I sat in my house and great. I was, I was trying to masturbate to Seinfeld and then Kramer walked in. <laughs> hey, Gil, I'm the master of my domain. <laughs> don't, ever, <laughs> don't ever suggest otherwise. I know, I've been I've been checking on your flat, so I've seen the stains. <laughs> and I've no idea how you got it that far up the wall. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> How can you even see the screen on that television? <laughs> I am the master of my domain. <laughs> Seinfeld fans will probably get that. Everybody else probably will. what? <laughs> it's un- yeah. unlike us to drop out a reference that most people won't get. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So yeah, um, related to that, I went to NBC Studios uh, a few weeks ago there. Um, I didn't get to do the tour because it was too busy, but I did get a lovely Seinfeld t-shirt, so that was pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> okay, so that's the, that's number one off your list. <laughs> now we just have numbers two through 148 to go. Um, you you and I, we've, we've both been to see Machete Kills. Yep. Now, your view of that one, I think, is different from mine based on what you've said already. Do you want to kind of say what you thought of it? I really enjoyed it, but I felt like it maybe dragged a little bit. Okay, okay. Um, okay, in the middle? Yeah, I, I felt like maybe the 
the middle. He it's it's basically like escape, get into a predicament, escape, get into a predicament, escape. I felt like maybe they could have lost maybe one or two of the fifty predicaments. Okay, okay. Right. You know, I, I thought there was maybe too many characters for the film for all That's the characters to be used properly. <laughs> sure. Um, obviously, I was I was uh, delighted to see Death from Bill and Ted uh, doing his thing. <laughs> William Sadler as Sheriff Dokes. Um, so that was awesome. Um, man, I, I have to say, I just love this from beginning to end. <laughs> I think any time I go to the pictures, I, I kind of because I've made that investment, I'm a bit more likely to just be like, "Oh, this is so awesome!" <laughs> but uh, I paid twelve dollars for this. I'm <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, in fact, I think I paid eight dollars to go and see this because it was a matinee screening, and there was three people in the cinema. <laughs> so yeah, um, but I really, really dug it. I thought Mel Gibson was excellent. I thought uh, as a as a super villain he works very well in that role because he's basically a dick in real yeah. life yeah I, mean, I, I love the Mad so, Max films but I, I do have to say that I, I don't really have that sort of love for Mel Gibson that I no, really know like, I, like the, the pre-Sugar Tits love yeah mm-hmm. that's that's kind of gone but yeah, you know I, so. I will still watch like Payback what did you think uh, like Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, and Lady Gaga as uh, the chameleon. Uh, I quite like them as the chameleon. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, and this is a, a wee bit of a spoiler. Yeah, Antonio. Well, you just said it there, Antonio Banderas. I was disappointed that he wasn't doing a cameo as L. As ah, of course, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I thought that would have been good. You know, sure, uh, sure. just. How how much more awesome would the finale of that film have been if Machete mm-hmm. had just happened to bump into L? Yeah, yeah. Do you not think? Uh, I mean, uh, Alexa Vega. A lot of the publicity shots kind of focused on her because of obviously Spy Kids and stuff. Um, but she didn't really do much. No, she was kind of underplayed. She was uh, kind of the backup to the. Kind of, what do you call it? The kind of madam character. Yeah, Sofia uh, Vergara. Sure, right, okay, uh huh. Yeah. So I mean, she was she was kind of more just like a kind of bodyguard, and that that didn't really work too well. Um, crazy baby t- set of twins were in it a wee bit, but not really again as much as I would have maybe liked. I've um, I felt like the the madam and her uh-huh. entourage could easily just have been written out of that, and nobody would have missed sure. them. Sure. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, actually, that's that was a time there was like three people in the cinema, and two of them went to the bathroom uh, during the same sequence. So that maybe says a lot about the thing lagging at certain points. Yeah. Um, and that was the Lady Gaga uh, chase sequence in the middle with the armored truck. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Um. I have to say, I really, really enjoyed it, um, and I loved the, the original Machete uh, movie. So, I, I do hope that they, that they can find the money to to do a Machete kills again in space, um, 
like his, his uh, at the start of the film, the, the kind of the bit, the big joke is at the start of the film that they're they're going to make a third film and the trailer's there and they do like a uh, they say starring Leonardo DiCaprio actor subject to change. I hope they can find the money to to pull that together. Mm. Um, but and and I mean for what it would cost if you were using a green screen, uh, it would mainly be talent costs. Uh, I would imagine that the talent costs for this would be significant to be honest well not, um, not just talent costs because uh-huh. you sure uh-huh. no i know but obviously a lot of production and stuff but maybe not quite as much as filming on location um but i'm saying that the the the, the main cost of production you would imagine would probably be talent well, in terms of the, the proportion of the budget i would say sin city's budget was 40 million uh-huh and that right. and that was that was all green screen uh-huh. uh I'm not sure what the budget for Machete Kills was. Sure. I, I believe it was... Well, the budget for Machete was something like $17 million. Um, I don't know. A machete Kills would be a lot less than that, I would imagine. Um, 20 Seriously? I just looked it up. $20 million. My goodness. So, there we go. Wow. Okay. So, presum- presumably, they've banked on Lady Gaga being a big draw... Um, because this this film really tanked, um, as far as I'm aware, uh, critically and at the box office. Oh Christ, th- thirty three million the budget for Machete Kills I'm seeing on Rotten t- on IMDb, um, and then the the gross is in the region of uh, it's not much, eight million. Uh, well, the the budget for the first film was ten point five, and the gross. Wow, was, was 33, wasn't it? It was something, or 40? Yeah. Well, right, for, okay. 44 box office, so 33. 44, uh-huh, sure. So that's that's incredible. That's So this one really, they've, they've obviously put a lot into it and they've, they've, they've lost a lot of money from it. My goodness. So the the, the fact is they might, they might actually know it, uh, be able to make a third film, which is a pity. Yeah. That's, Hey-ho. That's actually a lot less than I thought it would have made, but... Maybe, mm. maybe they brought it out at the wrong time. Possibly, possibly. Um, but yeah, that's that's nuts. Wow. Um, so yeah, um, have you got anything further to say about that one, Gil, do you think? Or... No, that's, that's uh, pretty much covered that, because I want to hear about what else you've been up to. The the kind of the, the, the better things that I've, I've done as well, I suppose. Uh, I went to, to meet our friend Cortland Hull, who we interviewed a few months back. Um of the Witch's Dungeon in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, which is a classic movie, movie museum out there. Um, so I got the brilliant opportunity to go and meet meet with him. He picked me up in Hartford, Connecticut, and we we went and I got to tour the Witch's Dungeon, uh, possibly the last time anybody's going to be able to tour that particular uh, venue because it's going to be potentially moving next year. Um depending on circumstances so I got a chance to, to go through that and to see his uh, collection throughout his throughout that he keeps in his home so I got to see all of that side of things so that was that was fantastic such a great experience tell us uh, what he let you touch <laughs> well I got to pose with the uh, Wonder Blair head from The Exorcist one of the two Heads used for our head turning sequence, um, which was awesome. That was really cool. Signed by Linda Blair, uh, so that was that was really awesome. 
um, the gold, one of the golden idols used in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. See, when you picked that up, mm-hmm. did you have to replace it with something that was roughly of equal weight? <laughs> well, like, kind of like mucking around with test tubes to try and get things like grains of sand and stuff. To, yeah, um, with, yeah, you had to do that, so that's fine. <laughs> Other, otherwise, you'd be attacked by a massive ball. Ah, oh, Mr. Moore! <laughs> yeah. Um... So yeah, we did that. Uh, what else? E.T. Oh, E.T., man. One of the original puppets uh, used... Well, one of the... Sorry, not one of the original puppets. One of the original uh, E.T.'s used in the long shots sequences of the of the bicycle scene. Um, so that was pretty awesome. So the, the E.T. was real, but the basket was fake. <laughs> Yeah, that's so because the basket was attached to the bike, um, and they could they, they couldn't kind of separate that. But the 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 ET was was the the real deal, so that was really awesome. I hope you stormed um, out at that point. <laughs> Didn't come here to see that short ass little guy. I came for the basket. So that was awesome, and I got to also there was a life cast of uh, Bela Lugosi. Um, taken from his performance in Return of the Vampire from 1944, um, so that was that was really awesome. The last time he portrayed Dracula, um, well, <laughs> for copyright reasons, he definitely didn't yeah. uh, portray Dracula. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was great. Um, no, the last time, obviously, did uh, the, the terrible ones, but um, yeah, it was great to to be able to. to see that as well um loads of other interesting stuff uh, he's got life-size uh, models of for example uh lampini well sorry dr neiman from house of frankenstein and um, so boris karloff as uh, dr neiman slash professor lampini yep. um some other greats uh there's a glenn strange head and um, what else Oh yeah, just just loads of really cool stuff like that, and getting to go through the witch's dungeon was great. So that was that was a really awesome experience. I went through three. I went through three times. <laughs> so what's now missing? What's now missing? <laughs> well, because you, you said you got me a present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, just uh, some official merchandise. That was <laughs> nothing. Nothing, uh, nothing stolen. I'm afraid. Was there anything from uh, Werewolf of London? Yes, there was. What, um, was it the jacket? I don't. I don't think there was anything. Courtland will maybe be able to correct me on this. I don't think there was anything. Um, there, there was a full life size model of Henry. Oh. Henry Hill. Um, from Werewolf of London, uh, possibly was the original jacket. There was, I certainly saw a, a suit jacket worn, a, a suit rather worn by Vincent Price. Um, so that was that was really awesome. Uh, from when he was in, I believe it was House of Wax. That's so, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. So that was the suit that was donated by uh, Vincent Price. And as you're walking through the Witch's Dungeon, it's narrated by Vincent Price who. Who, uh, who kindly donated his time uh, to Cortland's uh, project? Yeah. So, 
And that was awesome. It's brilliant that you got to go there. Um, yeah, it was a as I say, once in a lifetime opportunity, and I really want to thank Cortland for letting me do it because it was really cool, and I really appreciated it. So it was awesome. And it means that when I finally get there, he'll just go, "Oh God, not the other one." <laughs> uh, I have to no, go through this he again. Said to send, no, no, he said to send my send these regards to you. Oh, it's awesome. So it was, it was it was really really nice. Such a nice dude to meet in person. Just the exact same as when we went to interview them. Just completely full of stories and tall tales uh, that are, I would imagine, ninety percent true. <laughs> um, but just loads and loads of anecdotes about people who he's met over the years. Um, people who he's met at conventions and the the names just go on and on and on. It was fantastic just to just to get that experience. So it was great. Must have been nice doing a some, podcast. He also did some full size kind of reproductions for me of uh, Lon Chaney posters, a couple of Lon Chaney posters that he'd worked on. So that was really that he had basically touched up and and kind of. Um, cleaned up and all that side of things so they're restored so, so that was fantastic so they'll be going on your walls yeah absolutely so it was great so thanks to him for that right and people will be going my god Roscoe's like pure geeking out but not as <laughs> not as geeking out as you're about to be because what did what did what else did you do this week well on Thursday you're listening to Roscoe cast I know I know I know next week I'm just going to like just sat and create about how much money I spent (laughs) but the thing was none of this really cost much money (laughs) so that was awesome Um, I went to New York City Horror Festival um, on Thursday night to see a screening of uh, well it was actually technically the US premiere of uh, Return to Newcomb High um, so that was attended by pretty much the full cast the director uh, Lloyd Kaufman was there, uh, there and I got to meet uh, the the writer and producer uh, Travis Travis Campbell and Justin Mar- well Justin Martell and Travis Campbell, um, so it was it was fantastic to meet those guys. Spent a bit of time with them, and uh, yeah, and I got to meet Vito Trigo from Mister Brex. Cool. Uh, so I was totally marking out at that. <laughs> uh, and he he actually has a, a really uh, starring role in Return to Newcomb High, uh, so it was great to great to meet him as well. So it was fantastic. And the the first six minutes of uh, Return to Newcomb High Volume One are uh-huh. up online to watch. Yeah, so people people can check that out. I think it possibly undersells the film, uh, the first six minutes, um, because it does get a lot better than that. It's the the first six minutes are kind of a recap. It's got Stan Lee doing the voiceover, um, and then it's like a a kind of a sequence that 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 ties the the previous story and 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 calls back to the the original uh, movie. So. Yeah, the first six minutes are, are great and all, but really things really kick off after that. Um, after Gil dies. After Gil dies. <laughs> Fuck me with your fish dick, Gil. <laughs> There's a character called Gil. And that's, that's the line, isn't it? Yeah, Something like that. And, right. and, and we spoke to those guys. We did. And we did. I, I, no. I think I just inspired them to go, we should put this character 
Name I'm afraid it. I asked. It's not, I know. It's not. Because they'd already filmed it when we spoke I to them. Know, I know, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, um, what's a topical humour? What's a, um, what's really cool stuff from that side? Uh, <clears throat> as as you would expect from Troma, there's lots of dick and fart jokes. Uh, it's, uh, it's as traumatic as it gets. And I've got a feeling, I mean... Lloyd Kaufman came out at the end of the production and said, you know, um, because it, it ends fairly, it ends, ends fairly uh, abruptly because it's a two-part, it's Class of Newcomb High Volume 1, Class of Newcomb High Volume 2, it is literally a two-part film, so it does end fairly abruptly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really good fun, um, it's uh, if you enjoyed Poultrygeist, if you enjoyed Terra Firma, uh, Tromeo and Juliet is very much in a similar vein to everything Troma's put out in the last 15-20 uh, years. It's it's up there with those films. Um, so if you get a chance to see it in theatres, seriously do see it because it's it's really great. And the kind of atmosphere you get in a theatre of people just like going, oh god, that's disgusting. Or like being... <laughs> being you know, like got groaning at puns and groaning at silly jokes and stuff like that. Um, you can't really beat that, to be honest. And it was great to be in along with the cast who were kind of whooping and wailing whenever they knew something stupid was going to happen. <laughs> so, so it was great from that side. And um, we also got to see the first five minutes of Class of Newcomb High Volume Two, and. I don't know if I should give anything away, but... No, um, you shouldn't. No. <laughs> it's certainly... It's epic. It's really, really good. Um, and it's just exciting. It, it kind of fills you with that kind of feeling like, wow. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I really dug it. And I, I, I can't wait for this to come out on, on Blu-ray and DVD. And you didn't even fool fanboy it up by trying to meet Lloyd. Nah, it was it was around. I just I didn't want to do that, man. I just was well. Eh, what are you gonna do? Meet Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't leave many options there. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Not meet Lloyd or meet Lloyd. Yep. Ah. And the the two I have to say the two main female protagonists, um, playing Christy and Lauren, um, and that's Asta and uh, I don't remember Asta's surname. Um, but it's Catherine Kokorin. Um I'll just... Uh, but anyway, the, those guys were absolutely fantastic and they totally owned their roles um, in a way that is very rare and uh, in, in, in films like this. Um, they were fantastic. They stood up and did a Q&A uh, along with Lloyd and quite often, I mean, we've been to Q&As where... The lead actress is pretty much despondent or not really interested in speaking too much about uh, their role in the film, and it feels like they're just basically hired guns to, to 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 look good and to say certain things and blah 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 and do their job and be out. These guys seemed like they were one hundred percent committed to trauma as an idea, um, and they were able to speak as eloquently 
as Lloyd uh, about these ideas that uh, you wouldn't expect that from from an actor to be in a position to be speaking as fluently and as as eloquently as the director about the big ideas behind it, and they were absolutely fantastic, and it was it was really cool just to be able to to hear somebody who who completely owned their roles talking about the ideas behind the film and what they what they were putting into it. So that was a a really great experience. Sounds like you're having an awesome time. <laughs> How's the work you're supposed to be doing in America going? <laughs> it's going very well, actually. Yeah, it's uh, keeping busy, man. Um, sorry, Asta Paradez. Yes, who uh, has uh, tweeted both of us this week and actually yeah. said, you should have stuck around to chat. Yeah, but, absolutely. But then uh, your avatar features, uh-huh. features uh, half a picture of me. And my avatar features a whole picture of me. I think she was just thinking it was me and she was going, hey, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great to great to see those guys. And, uh, yeah, work's going fine, Gil. I'm just, as I say, it's these things have just been happening mainly at night um, and, and kind of weekends. Um, so I've not really missed a lot of work. Uh, the, the trauma thing, I needed to take a half day to be able to travel down to New York. But aside from that, I've just been working away, man. So, yeah, getting there. So you've only got two more weeks to steal me as, as Stephen Colbert. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Or a, or a John Stewart, either one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've just rambled on here, so my apologies to people for just yammering. They'll be going, what's happening? He sounds excited. <laughs> I know, I know. He's had so. some of what Gil's been drinking. <laughs> Absolutely. So, have you been watching any films, or has there been anything that you've you've caught us uh, over the last couple of weeks, Gil? I have, but nothing anywhere near as exciting as that. To be oh, honest, oh, come on, tell us. Uh, I I bought a magic set. Bought a magic set. <laughs> I'll show you a trick when you get home. Have you been astounding people? Uh, not really. I live on my own. <laughs> yeah, but you do have a. You do have a lady who puts up with you. I did astound her with two. Right, okay. Uh-huh. Very good. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's, <laughs> I just thought, fuck it, buy a magic set. Quite right. That's, you know, I'm 36, <laughs> what's missing from my life? Magic. Magic. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything needs a bit of razzle-dazzle. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so I I can uh, now amaze people. I actually was just thinking, oh, at Christmas this would be quite fun because there's always loads of kids round about at Christmas at, oh, yeah, the, yeah, at the family sure. thing. And sure. then, then uh, my mother reminded me that that sort of Christmas isn't actually happening this year. <laughs> so I'll have to amaze them at some other family get-together. Wow, we to put a downer on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas is cancelled. Yeah, well, I just learned some tricks. <laughs> you can turn the illusions in the street. Yep. Anyway, enough about you. <laughs> I know. I feel like I've just talked too much on this podcast already. <laughs> oh, stop it. You, I've there's, said there's, so there's lots, times that, there's lots of times that you talk for ages and I don't. So most of the time I don't talk that long. I know. But uh, what we what we have to do really is uh, we haven't even told people what we're talking about. Yeah, I was going to say about JT Petty before we stop breaking character. <laughs> Fox. 
I'm not breaking characters. That's just They're, terrible. Uh, I'm actually a terrible person. I'm just like <laughs> pretending to be alright. Um, <laughs> I think you've gone the wrong way around. <laughs> okay. So, well, I'm actually a, a really nice person. I pretend to be a terrible person. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, okay, so as everybody will know, uh, well, as you'll no doubt be aware, if you're looking at your calendars, you'll be able to see that it is, of course, Kurgan Heritage Month here on Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. And to culminate uh, that uh, that great celebration of the, the Kurgan's work, we decided that we would have a blowout, uh, a Kurgan special, Kurgan spectacular, if you will, um, where we will be covering three movies uh, featuring the great Clancy Brown. Um, so those those films are Starship Troopers, Hellbenders, 3D, and The Burrows. And interestingly enough, um, and without any forward planning, Two of those films were written and directed by the same man, Mr. J.T. Petty. Um, and this this week, it's a great privilege to be joined by J.T. Petty, uh, who joins us for our Kurgan Heritage Month. So we're going to be having a short break, and then we're going to be discussing the first of those films, uh, which is The Burrows, and then we'll be bringing J.T. in to, to discuss uh, that work with him. So looking forward to that. Um, we hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it with the great man. And do you know why we can never, ever do this again? Why is that? There can be only one. Take a journey with the Phantom Eric as he explores the last 100 years of horror. 100 films to be explored, each one with the related themes, actors, and directors that made the last century of horror cinema so great. Travel the world from Germany to Scandinavia, Italy to France, North America and everywhere in between, with no stone left unturned. The zombies are locked up, the vampires are asleep, and the prowlers have slain their last group of campers for the night. So take the hand of the Phantom American Lester Reaper, as this is one time travel experience you won't want to miss. Okay, guys, we're back to discuss The Burrows from 2008. It was written and directed by J.T. Petty, who will be joining us shortly. Um, and it stars uh, Mr. Clancy Brown as Clay. It stars Carl Gray as Coffee. William Maypother as Parcher. Sean Patrick Thomas as Callahan. Galen Hutchison as Dobie. And Alex Edmo as Faith. Um, and brief synopsis of the plot. When a family of Dakota Territory pioneers is violently abducted and a posse is assembled to venture into the badlands and rescue them, the frightening truth they discover in the hills leads them to believe man may not be the only hunter stalking the Old West. Gil, um, this is a really interesting film. It's. I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking with you. I've seen it. Do you know it was one that I'd never heard of? I'd never heard of the burrows and... Yet again, Gil picks a classic. You have picked a classic with this one. Um, and, I mean, the, the title doesn't really do it a lot of justice because... Does it make you think of The Borrowers? 
it did make me think of them. But you, you kind of imagine it being something in the the region of perhaps tremors or perhaps um, crittles or uh, ghoulies or something in that kind of vein. Um, whereas this is actually very, very different from that. It's quite a mature horror film. Um, I'll say quite a mature. It's a very mature horror film. Um, I'll Wait say the horror... Are, sure. are you saying that Ghoulies is not a mature horror film? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that might be controversial, I don't know. But... Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just see somebody smashing the cup in outrage. Oh, there's there's already a, a party of people forming outside my window with <laughs> pitchforks and placards. Um, so yeah, this is a very very mature horror film in the sense that it's the horror element is almost uh, is almost separate from the 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 important the most important elements of this film aren't necessarily the the horror elements would you agree with that yeah it's like uh, van diemen's land right okay which is also kind of technically a bit of a horror but mm-hmm. It's it's handled in a very mature way where you could uh-huh. you could watch this film for the horror, mm-hmm. or you could also watch this film for the the characterizations and sure. the overall story. I mm-hmm. I think this this strikes a balance between the two that you don't often see. Sure. So I mean, we've got a kind of small group, a small band of. Uh, well, as they say, a posse who have been assembled to try and rescue this family, or so they think. Um, so, so yeah, we've got that posse. We've got um, William Maypother and Clancy Brown as, as your more traditional uh, cowboy-type characters. But you've also got the, well, two characters who don't necessarily fit into that mould. Um, Carol Geary as Coffee, who's an Irish immigrant, and uh, Sean Patrick Thomas as Callahan. Uh, who's a, a black immigrant who, again, we wouldn't necessarily associate with cowboy movies or with your, your traditional Western. But, I mean, this, the, the interesting thing about this is that it's written in the sense, it's, it's written like a traditional Western and in the, the very best traditions of the, the, the Western film. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's it's like, like Unforgiven or something like that. Sure, You've got... Yeah. You've got this sort of uh, it's it's more about the characters than about you know the the old I mean I I love a lot of the the old John Wayne films and Yul Brynner and mm-hmm. stuff like that but you know over the the past twenty years probably with films like Unforgiven and Tombstone and stuff mm-hmm. and the the remake of True Grit. Sure. We're getting a more kind of fact-based version of the West. Sure. And, I mean, the the, the other interesting thing about this, I suppose, is it's played entirely straight. It's, it's not um, the type of film where we're, we're kind of making a nod and a wink to these type of films. It, it feels like it's very much drawn from that tradition. 
Um, and I mean, the, the the interesting thing again is that it's so completely different from the type of work that that we've seen JT Petty doing when we've been looking through his his, his catalogue in recent weeks. He's he's quite diverse. He's <laughs> inc- incredibly diverse. Looking forward to asking about his diversity. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, okay. Uh, so, Gil, we spoke about this before, and you also mentioned, as well as the, I mean, the the writing is stellar, and I mean, I don't know if I managed to really get that across, but um, oh, the, the writing is great in this. You you uh-huh. do really you you form a bond with some of the characters, uh-huh. and I like the way that there are characters that that you go off, uh-huh. but you go off them naturally. Uh-huh. Yep. You don't, it's not set up that you will go off this character. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a ni- really nicely written piece. Who are you thinking of? Oh, well, that would be a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> that, <laughs> okay. I, I, um, that would be William played by William. <laughs> right. I, I think you kind of go off him. Right. But mm-hmm. I won't, won't say any more about that. It's a wee bit. But also... Uh, you you do you do have a a bit of a dislike for Henry because he's a he's a very militaristic uh-huh. horrible nasty piece of work that's uh, Eugene Toombs from the X Files yes you know <laughs> and that motherfucker still hasn't aged. <laughs> So I'm starting to think that the character of Eugene Toombs might not just be something he was asked to play. <laughs> okay, um, right. So uh, we've also got uh, Clancy Brown as, as John Clay. Um, what did you think of that character? It's Clancy Brown. Yep. <laughs> How can you not enjoy watching Clancy? <laughs> He's an actor that always just... Every time you see him in something, you kind of go, I'll pay more attention to this. Sure. He's got a kind of gravitas that is hard to pin down. Mm-hmm. I just really like watching him. I and I've also, uh, because he's in it, started mm-hmm. watching the Sleepy Hollow series. Sure. And I do sure. wonder if he was he was specifically sought out for that because it involves somebody who's had their head chopped off. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what did you think of the, the ethnic tension that's that's portrayed through that? I mean, it's again, it's relatively sensitive in the way that it's it's handled, um, and it's it's obviously again portraying the Western in a, a different light from we're in perhaps in the habit of seeing in the more traditional mode. Um, yeah, I I thought it was it was really good. It was yeah. it was nice and believable without uh, going to the point where it was maybe trying to lecture you about anything because it portrayed it in such a way where you already know the you know this sort of treatment of people is wrong uh-huh. so I mean when we're talking about ethnic tension we're not, not probably not just talking about indigenous populations um, but also uh, with the, the inclusion of um, the sorry, Irish immigrant uh huh. Well, yeah, the Irish immigrant coffee and uh, Callahan. Yeah. But anyway, the the kind of there's there's a lot of racial tension there as well, um, and the way that that he's portrayed and treated, um, by that group. 
so that's that's really interesting. The really nice thing about this is it's, it's quite it's got a bit of mystery to it. It keeps right. it keeps the mystery to the right point in the film. Uh-huh. That's you right. know, it doesn't take it too far where you start going, "Oh, come on." Uh-huh. But it also doesn't bring it in so early that you know it maybe ruins it. Uh-huh. You've sure. you've got the intrigue to the right point mm-hmm. and just enough of this film is like a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the very reason why a lot of people don't like Lord of the Rings. Right. Because there's just a bit too much journey. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's also why I didn't like uh, a lot of rock music in the 80s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit too much journey. Yeah. So, it's, uh, Doug Hutchison's character is Henry Victor, is that right? Yep. Uh, I, I mean, he's in there as a counterpoint, I suppose, in the sense that he is... He's kind of more more like what we would expect to see in a film like this. And he is the law. He is the, the, the he's he represents the law on the frontier. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there's it's a kind of com- well, almost comical uh, kind of satirical comment that this guy is the is the law. He's the the, the final uh, arbiter, I suppose. Um, but in, in fact, he's just an idiot. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> that's the the great thing is that this this guy is uh, everyone else is kind of trying to work through their uh, circumstances and trying to trying to deal with things as they arise, and he thinks that he has got the the ultimate answers to everything. And the poetry of this film, I suppose, is that at the end we we discover that he really doesn't have the answers at all. Yeah, he he um, doesn't actually care about anybody else's circumstances. No, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. But he is, he is actually he's a counterpoint, but mostly to Clancy's character. Uh-huh, sure. And sure. Clancy's character is, he is the guy that you want to be the law. Of course, and right. Of course, putting him up against Henry, mm-hmm. there is just a certain, who is this fucking joker? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of dismissive looks between the two and yep. a couple of great arguments. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the the whole I don't want to like make a big spoiler or anything, but there's one scene that kind of revolves around the the whole who fed my engine. Uh-huh, that's right. Praise I mean that that scene is just that's a, a great bit of kind of instant character development for so many of them. Sure, sure. It's, it's just a really awesome film that people should check out. And mm-hmm. Okay, guys, uh, so I think it's possibly worthwhile just bringing in uh, JT Petty into the conversation, uh, the writer and director of The Burrows. He was also the writer and director of the recent film, Hellbenders, um, which we're going to be discussing in a bit more depth later. He's also very well known for writing and directing Sandman, as well as a range of video games, including um, Batman Vengeance, uh, the critically acclaimed Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. So, JT Petty, welcome to Gillen Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. I, I also, I've actually played one of your games. I have uh, played Homefront, which I really enjoyed. Oh, dear God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Homefront was one. They brought me on pretty late in the game for that one. Um, but uh, but I liked the premise, and the team was a great bunch of guys. 
Well, you see, I uh, usually end up rambling about what computer games I've been playing this week. And, you know, it's nice, yeah. it's nice to have somebody on the show that finally has that crossover. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a crazy exciting place to be working and stuff. I mean, right now I'm doing the, uh, I just did a video game called uh, Outlast that came out about two months ago. All right. Uh, okay, cool. And I'm up uh, with that team of guys working on the, the DLC, which will be, you know, like a sort of mini episode that will come between the first and the sequel. Cool. So uh, what is Outlast like? What is it? Um, what, what's, uh, what kind of game is it? Uh, Outlast is a horror game. It's a, a you know, sort of a horror survival thing. Oh, and, awesome. And the thing... I mean, it was a bunch of guys that I had worked with on other games, like like Splinter Cell and Prince of Persia and stuff. Sure. But but the thing that really got my attention about it is that they they are never going to give you a weapon. So right. it's it's not like running around and shooting zombies in the head. It's just like you're in a horrible place and you're completely fucked. Um, and and that's it. And it's just like it's it's just terrifying the whole time because you never get that. You you never fight back, right? Like you're just the first half of the final girl. Sure. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> that sounds really entertaining. I'll need to look that one out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. It's fun. It's a great bunch of guys. So how did you get involved in writing that type of stuff, JT? Um, r- really by chance. Um, I was... Uh, the, the very first movie I made was this thing called Soft for Digging, which was like mm. 12 years ago at this point, or sure. 14 or something like that. Um, but I made that in school and had absolutely no money and was looking for a day job. And there was a software company in New York that was looking for a receptionist. Right. And okay. I went to apply for that job. And and like I showed up in the office and they literally had two piles of resumes. And one of them said receptionist and one of them said screenwriter. Um, and I was just like, I don't want to answer the fucking phone. So I, I put sure. it in the, uh, the screenwriter pile. And then it was like a dozen, dozen interviews. And then I got a job in that. And it, it sort of went from there. But that was like 1999, I think, 1998, 99. Um, so the PS2 had just come out. So the whole idea of a video game screenwriter is a completely new thing. Sure. Um, so we got to kind of make it up as we went along. Um, and I sort of fell in love with it and just sort of, sort of ran from there. Awesome. Excellent. That's, that's great. Um, and obviously you've, uh, Gil's, uh, Gil said not to mention that. <laughs> I might mention it anyway. I'm sorry, Gil. Gil's going to hate me. Um, because, uh, Sandman. Um, fantastic, really interesting film. Um, do you want to tell us anything about that, or would you like to discuss that at all? It's actually a movie that I like people to watch, kind of blind. Um, and and as a movie that sort of got half released and spent most of its life as a movie being pirated. Sure, I think this is kind of this is a horrible, horrible thing for a filmmaker to say. And I'm sure the Directors Guild is like, will put a hit out on me for this. But like, I kind of like that movie being pirated because I think it's actually the best format for that movie to be seen in sure um and, and and a lot of what got me to make that movie i mean it's a documentary about underground horror films uh essentially and kind of nominally but um but 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 the experience that i was trying to get back to mm-hmm. was sort of being a teenager and and getting a vhs tape that was a dub of something that i didn't know what it was sure which, which was like how i saw faces of death originally it's how i saw tetsuo the iron man Sure. Uh, it's how I saw a racer head. It's how I saw like all of these movies that I honestly thought might hurt me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so hard to get back to that place now because we know so much about everything that we watch. And, and like, I, I fucking hate the, the culture of picking apart a movie before it comes out. Right. Like poor Jose Padilla who makes like a couple brilliant fucking movies. And then just because he's making RoboCop, everybody spends two years up his ass. Yep. 
and and it's just like such a terrible way to watch movies. And, and so I, I kind of love the idea that like for about two years, everybody who saw Sandman saw it because they got it off of BitTorrent or Pirate Bay or wherever they're going to get it. Sure. Uh, so when people are downloading it from that in that way, they're not really sure whether it's real or whether it's or whether there's I mean there's a lot of bloodlines with that that film. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's the total idea. And, and it's sort of like, I mean, the story behind it, honestly, is that after I made Offer Digging, you know, most of the, the stories that were written about that movie or written about how phenomenally cheaply it was made, mm-hmm. you know, it was like this, as you know, another another $6,000 movie that went to Sundance. Sure. Um, and so what happened after that is I would get people contacting me to be like, hey, I made a movie in my backyard for, for 400 bucks. Can I send it to you? Mm-hmm. And so I had people sending me, you know, VHS tapes of their movies that were just like these kind of laughable horror movies full of, you know, fake tits and raspberry colored blood. <laughs> but then every once in a while, there would be this act of, of violence or sexuality or something that was clearly not a special effect. Uh-huh. And that would put me in this state of being like, oh, Jesus, like, yep. you know, there, there's a line and, and sort of that that moment of of suddenly thinking that something horrific is too real, mm-hmm. I think is the most interesting place to be watching a horror movie from, right? Because like the more realistic it gets, the scarier it is. Absolutely. But there is that snuff line where suddenly it's not entertaining anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, that's what the movie is about. <laughs> and I mean, the, the one of the better lines uh, and the one of the kind of best lines in the documentary segment, I suppose, is um, when you're interviewing the guy from August Underground, and he says, "You know, Totag could have made that look so much better <laughs> yeah, than an actual real, uh, an yeah. actual real execution." He goes, "You know, that's it looks so fake. Totag could have done a much better job." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say because uh, as you're, it's it's a pet peeve of mine because it just uh, seems awfully pedantic. Is the citation needed thing on Wikipedia pages? Because a lot of the time, it's just that the person that put citation needed hasn't done research. So, are you? Do you actually have any yeah. involvement in uh, a remake of Faces of Death? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've eaten some dinners off it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I, I've been I've been attached to that. I, I just actually I turned in a new draft of the script a couple months ago. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a project that's been around for a long time. So now it's got a lot of sort of production legacy behind it that that makes production of it complicated yep um which is sort of stories out of class things that i I, i'm sure i shouldn't go too far into Mm -hmm. um i still love the project i love the idea of it um you know if it if it comes together uh i'm gonna love doing it but but there's a lot of sort of uh higher business shit going on with it that hopefully comes together right okay yeah, I actually watched it again last night, and I was amazed how when I originally saw that, I thought, oh my god, that's an actual monkey, and then you watch it again, and so many years later, because effects have improved so much, you can see this, no? I mean, that's actually kind of an amazing point, I think, of, like, I don't know if that's youth or 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 mediation, <laughs> right, that, that makes that difference. Like, would an adult who saw Faces of Death in, in the in the year that it came out, like, would they know that that was so fake? Or is it a difference of of having, like, watched so much actual death in the last 20 years because we just see people die all the time, like sure, Daniel Burrow sure. and Saddam Hussein and all that shit? Like, like I don't know. Like, I, I think, actually, 
I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that one. Like, I, I would hope that it, if I was an adult when Faces of Death came out originally, that I would know it was mostly bullshit. Um, but I'm not sure that I would have. And I think it's crazy interesting that we're so well trained to spot honest to God snuff films now. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was uh, kind of weird that the there's a similar scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is actually far more realistic. But because it's an Indiana Jones film, it's obviously fake. Yeah. Well, and also because like Spielberg is an honest to God sadist who wants you to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he made Crystal Skull. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's a distinction that Sandman makes as well, is the, the difference between when we see animals being killed on film, there's that element of doubt comes into whether what we're looking at is real. Um, yeah. And certainly a few of your kind of interviewees made reference to that in terms of blurring the lines. Again, yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of interesting stuff. And, and honestly, a lot of that was lifted from one of the interview subjects, um, uh, uh, Carol. You know, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, I think is like, yeah, there's just a couple of really great books on horror film. And I think that's that's definitely one of them. Awesome. So we, we should probably talk about the, the films that we have watched this week as well. Because we, we do tend to, everybody that listens to this knows we're, so, we're just so random. <laughs> That we could yeah. we could have a director on and, and talk about French fries for an hour. Yeah, let's, let's talk about movies that we haven't seen. Like like, have you guys seen Tarkovsky's Nostalgia? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen it. I've tried a couple times. I I, I haven't seen it either, but I have also <laughs> tried a couple of times. So this, this sounds like the perfect topic. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, I apologise. Okay, um, so, 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 The Borrowers uh, from 2008, uh, directed Let's by... Let's move on to a movie now that we can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> directed by your man, J.T. Petty, uh, written by J.T. Petty and starring Clancy Brown, um, among others. Um, what was the, I mean, this this is a really interesting film because it's, it's pretty much a traditional Western in a lot of respects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the trick of the movie is is that it's it's a Western with monsters in it instead sure. of a horror movie set in the Old West, mm-hmm. um, which is, is definitely like sort of a, a difficult one for a, a, a sort of, you know, system to get a head around. But, um, but yeah. I, I loved it. Because I, I really was brought up watching a combination of westerns due to my mother being a massive john wayne fan and Uh, like the universal monsters and stuff like that so a western that features monsters you know you're right it's not a horror film set in the old west like uh the hangman's daughter the from dust till dawn like really early prequel it it basically is just a horror film set in that time period but this is a yeah. this is a western where everybody's acting like people would act in a western, and they're being confused and surprised by monsters. So I so like what, that approach. What was your inspiration for for pulling this together? Because I mean, it is quite a quite an original idea. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I always sort of wanted to make a western, honestly. I mean, and just and a lot of it was sort of like I say. When you talk about like growing up because your mom was a John Wayne fan, like you, so you watched all these westerns. Yeah, like I, I, had, I definitely had the experience of being like a little kid 
and because it was what was on, you know, like AMC or Saturday morning, <clears throat> you could see like all the old John Wayne westerns and shit. And you'd see all the old, like, the thing from another world and, like, the, the old, like, 1950s and 1960s horror movies. Uh, and then, then you know, you get 10 years old and suddenly you're too old for that until you're, like, 13 and you discover John Carpenter's thing. Sure. And on the Western end, you start discovering, like, the Leone stuff and yeah. Ulsana's Raid and Missouri Breaks and those kind of things. Yeah. It's, it's funny that both, like, horror and Western are kind of like those B-picture genres that had their kind of separate renaissances. Mm-hmm. But we're but we're largely aiming at the same folks, um, and somehow like westerns just like died, you know. I, I don't know what it was like, what it was about audiences that wouldn't keep following westerns. It, West world, um, it was that was that was it. <laughs> it was Westworld. People didn't <laughs> win. you know. I've, I've, that's that's it. They, you've got him cutting about as a robot. That's the end of all westerns now. <laughs> it's just, just Yul Brenner killed it. Yeah, because <laughs> now every time you watch a western with Yul Brenner in it, you just keep thinking, well, you, you can't kill him because he's indestructible. He's, he's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, I've got no idea. I mean, it just feels like westerns are so correct in terms of really basic movie making. Mm. Um, and... And I, and I I love so much about it. I mean, like I'd, I'd been, you know, pretty much pretty obsessed over Westerns at the time. And it started reading a bunch of stuff about the experience of being in the West back at that point. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely interesting to me that that like for for the people who are going out there, um, you know, like Dead Man is a pretty good picture of going out to the West. Right. Of, of like the Jim Jarmusch movie. The, like, yep. the, the, the way that I would talk about it to the, the actors Mm-hmm. Was that basically the the people who were going into the West usually were the people who failed in gangs of New York, right? Like you couldn't, <laughs> right. you probably got sold to somebody and sent out West. Sure. And being a cowboy was just like a piece of shit job. Like 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 a, there was there was uh, there was one book that that I think it was at Banditti of the Plains maybe, but said that forty uh, percent of cowboys were black, which right. okay. which you never see in movies. Absolutely. But the whole reason for that is is just like a testament to what a shitty job being a cowboy was. Sure. Um, so like everybody who's going out to become a cowboy are either like immigrants or they're dirt poor or they're just like uneducated and misguided or or they've got this crazy, you know, insane dream and they're thinking of some sort of eighteen forty version of Silicon Valley or whatever. Sure. But, so you you've got your characters obviously coffee, uh, the Irish immigrant. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, and that was sort of the idea of the movie. The construction of the movie is, is the basic idea that, like, you know, like Clancy Brown is the guy who's your classic cowboy, yep. who's your John Wayne character, who's like bigger than everybody else, knows what's going on, and is going to shoot the Indians and get the job done. Yep. Um, and and one by one, all of the cowboys get picked off, and it's left to the immigrants and ex-slaves to figure <laughs> out how to fucking survive this thing. Yeah. Um, but his character is know. also quite moralistic as well. Because you've got the, the kind of cavalier character. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. Henry? Yeah, Doug. Who, uh, yeah, Doug Hudson. Yeah, talking about... Uh, yep, Eugene Toombs, <laughs> as I will always <laughs> call him. Yeah. yeah, that's Doug, Doug Hutchinson. Yeah, his character is the extreme bad guy. And from the start of this film, he's basically the guy that the people who turn out to be the kind of heroes have to they have to rely on him because that sort of character did kind of run the West. Yeah. Yeah. No, eventually, eventually those are always the guys who run things. Right. I mean, like you, 
you'll have your your people who fight for the order and all that stuff, but but we'll always be the same group of assholes eventually. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, obviously, the Burrows, it's it's, it's kind of one eighty again in terms of your career. It's a, a a change in direction almost completely. Um, how did you get to? How did you bring in Clancy Brown and and uh, is it William Mapother? How, how do you pronounce that? Sorry. Uh, yeah. What was that? Sorry. Maypother. Maypother. Mm. Uh-huh. How did you How did you get those guys involved in the project, and how did How did it go from there? Um. Well, that one. Uh. You know, I, I wrote the script, and then Lionsgate bought the script, and they actually produced the movie. Um. Sure. So that one that one was made inside the system inside Los Angeles. Right. Uh, okay. Uh huh. So you know we had a we had a budget and we could just you know make an offer to Clancy and and that movie was where I met Clancy. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So he he's he's a giant history buff and he's a giant western buff. Ah, oh, really? And, and he's a giant horror nerd. I mean, like, like he, it, it was one of those things about like 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 he came in and I was just like, oh, you know, if if we don't make this movie together, we should drink scotch and watch you know Starship Troopers for the rest of our life. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like, what are his tastes like? What are, what kind of horror movies is he into? I mean, he's into everything. I mean, he he loves everything. I mean, like I remember on on uh, on Hellbenders, you know, it's like he came out to New York and stayed for you know, about six weeks or so. So he was like in preparation for that. He brought a bunch of DVDs, so he'd have stuff to watch in the hotel and when he wasn't shooting. Sure. And and like half of them were Takashi Miike titles I'd never heard of. Right. Okay. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Like he's he's just into everything. He, he's he's great. What about yourself? What are your kind of main influences, JT? Um, I mean they change. Yeah, you know constantly. Um, I mean a, a lot of it depends on like whatever the story is that I'm looking to tell is what I'm looking right. at. Okay. Um, I mean like the westerns I was looking at to the burrowers were probably like Olzana's Raid and Missouri Breaks and mm-hmm. um, God, what's the Jeff Bridges western? Uh, where they have that awesome scene where they shoot the rabbit. I'm uh, not sure, to be honest with you. I kind of think God, of fun. Bad Company. Bad Company. Right, okay. Like, uh-huh. visually, just for the Burrowers. Like, that was a huge one. Mm-hmm. What about uh, like, A Town Called Bastard? I never saw A Town Called Bastard. Uh, Telly Savalas is in it. And I saw it one time, late night television. And it just starts off as a kind of general Western. But then it's got an added gore element to it. Like a man has huh. his finger shot off and stuff like that. And the it looks really good. Well, maybe it doesn't now, as we were saying. But <laughs> yeah. but just seeing it, a, a man having his finger shot off because he was going to reach for his gun so his trigger finger is removed. It's, a, uh-huh. it's one of those weird curios where you just know the only reason that you've probably never seen it is because nobody wants to print that title in the newspaper for the TV listings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, I almost, like, my first question was almost like, yeah, but what was it called in the States? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was right. actually a town called Bastard in the States as well. It's It's one of those strange films that you remember semi-lucidly. <laughs> Because it was on so late. Yeah. No, I had one of those. I mean, that's it's been a weird experience the last ten years. Is more and more stuff is just showing up online and on DVD. Yeah. There's like that that catalog of movies, like like the Corpse Grinders or whatever, where it's like mm. it's something you saw 
or just like, oh god, what's that thing where the serial killer was feeding people to cats? <laughs> and, like, then, and now you can just find it by kind of googling that phrase. <laughs> yeah, and then you realize that there there are entire companies out there who are just dedicated to making sure you can see it again. <laughs> yeah, totally. One thing that I was going to ask, but I think that basically you've you've confirmed that you and Clancy have a really really nice relationship. Because I was going to say. Was there a point in filming where it becomes awkward because you do like to kill him off in films before the end? So <laughs> when I was watching, that, I was thinking like, "Oh, does he get to a point where he goes, oh, not this guy again?" Right? Change the script. <laughs> Clancy gets shot in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually it was interesting on the first one. That was actually a conversation I had with Clancy that kind of changed how I talk to actors about dying. Because I always, I always assumed that an actor would love a death scene. Because I, I would just think back to, like, you know, when we were kids making movies with video cameras and shit. That like <laughs> Everybody wants always, to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, know, you, you get to see your head explode or whatever. Um, and I was talking to him about it and just sort of said offhand, like, oh, you know, and it's got to be fun because you get to die. And he's like, no, no, it's terrible. You have to <laughs> dying. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a serious profession for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, but um, but no, I mean like like Clancy, obviously, I, we we're 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 buddies, we're friends. Oh well, uh, you can you can tell him that two people in Scotland are have dedicated <laughs> an entire month to him. Yeah, uh, he'll be he'll be crazy tickled. Absolutely. So um, so I mean the burials themselves, uh, JT, did you design these or how did how did they come about? Uh, did you have an yeah. idea in your head when you were doing that? Um, I had a basic idea. I mean, like I, I uh, this uh, a special effect guy named Robert Hall, uh, uh-huh. who has a company called Almost Human, came on as the designer um, well before we were into production. Okay. Um, so we had we had months and months to basically go back and forth on designs and stuff. Right. And mostly, what I had were a big list of like like I didn't want them to be supernatural necessarily. Like, right. like they okay. wanted to be something that could fit into nature that we wouldn't have seen mm-hmm. um, that was there and, and you know, is, is, is now either gone or sleeping. So so I I sent him some, like, basic ideas about, you know, how they work, basically, from the bones out. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of pictures. I mean, naked mole rats were a big reference. Like, I love the idea of a colony of mammals that live by the rules of insects. Yeah, right, um, right. there was the a lot of pictures of grubs. There was some pictures of I forget the name of it. There's one insect that can dig incredibly quickly um, and has this weird like pug like face. Right. But okay. it's basically I just sent him a big pile of references and then we went back and forth on stuff. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, that was a really fun process just because like I, I can I can get I can get all hung up on on the. The functionality of monsters. Yep. Um, and he was Robert was very good about sort of uh, you know working along with that. Fantastic. So I mean, there was correct me if I'm wrong. There were scenes where there was there were puppets being used. Is that correct? <laughs> or it yeah. certainly seemed that way. Yeah, we did as many puppets as we could. Um, right. We ended up having to do a fair amount of CG and cleanup and stuff, but mm-hmm. um, but we always had had a guy in a rubber suit on set. <laughs> At all times. One, I mean, there, there was one fully animatronic burrower that's in the movie a decent amount. Right. Um, but yeah, all that stuff is just just such great fun. And was it also partially based on, because you were saying about them having a kind of insect-type insect functionality, was was the cicada 
an influence for that as well because there's the the yeah. Indian woman says they come every three generations and the Chikada I think is every twenty just once every twenty five years that they burrow to the surface. Yes. 17 years is the ones that I know about. Oh, sorry. Ah, right. Okay. Uh-huh. But yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've grown up between like North Carolina and New York. So we get the, we get the 17 year cicadas, um, which are, are insane. I mean, uh, have you been around in the States for, for one of those surface things? No, no. Sadly, no. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, like the, the one this year, at least where I'm at in Brooklyn, wasn't huge, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, that far back. So like I'm, God, I can't even do the math, but you know, I, I do remember being a kid when the cicadas came up when I lived down outside of DC, mm-hmm. um, and they were, you know, they're these insects that are about, uh, you know, two inches long or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and you could just go outside and you could hear them crawling on the trees because oh, they were good, and anywhere in the ground you could poke a hole and there would be these pupae of these insects. Uh, it's just like it was it was it was amazing and they're there for a month and then they're gone entirely and they leave behind all these husks yeah wow. always fascinated me ever since i heard about them yeah yeah no it's, it's pretty amazing you just think that and, life and they, cycle <laughs> that's just brilliant yeah no and how that life cycle comes about and and that that's something that evolution's like yeah that'll work that's, that sounds pretty good what are they doing <laughs> down there <laughs> you know, there has to be some sort of payoff for them. Yeah, you would hope they get like all every season of The Sopranos every time they, <laughs> yeah. they hire. They've got like discotheques down there. You know, it's a non-stop yeah. party for seventeen years, and then they all just oh, go just <laughs> upstairs for the orgy. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like a great life, right? Like you sleep for seventeen years, you fuck for a month, and then you sleep for another seventeen years. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, so fantastic. So the boroughs. Gil, have you got anything further to add to that? Or uh, no, I just I because I thought it was beautiful. I, no, it's very well made. Yeah, it was oh, right you. up there with because I really liked the the remake of True Grit just because of the just the beauty of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the True Grit remake is amazing, uh-huh. and the casting is so good. It's also just like I love that they like gave such a good role to Barry Pepper, and he does so well at it. It's just like there's there's so much good stuff in that movie. Yeah, sure. And I, I think I mean, the Borrowers is just as beautiful. It's just well, it's an exceptionally well written film as well, and it's yep. it's important to kind of put that across. It is a very well written film as well. Um, so no, top class, man. Well done. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, okay, so we'll have a short break there, and then we'll be back to discuss Hellbenders. The podcast which you're about to listen to is an account of the viewing experiences which befell two Scottish men. It is all the more tragic in that they were young and enthusiastic. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to have watched as much of the mad and macabre movies they did. For them, a friendship and shared interest in horror movies became a nightmare. The events of their viewing were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre podcasts in the annals of podcast history. The Podcast Under the Stairs. The Podcast Under the Stairs can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com or on iTunes.
Okay, guys, and we're back to discuss Hellbenders, uh, or Hellbenders 3D, if you get to see it in the cinema. Um, so, JT, would you like to tell us about bit Hellbenders, or your current project, or film that just came out? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's been out for about two weeks. You can uh-huh. get it on, you know, iTunes, or your local VOD service, whatever your cable provider is. Sure. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an exorcism comedy. <laughs> so it's, um... Yeah, so it centres around a group called the Augustine Interfaith Order of Hellbound Saints. Um, and they are a group of, well, as I say, interfaith. We've got Presbyterians, we've got Roman Catholics, we've got um, a whole range of uh, Christian... Vegetarian in there, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the idea behind them is that they continue to live a fully sinful life and to make sure that they are damnation ready um, in order to be able to fully uh, exercise demons that come into this earth and to drag them to hell. Um, so, yeah, so it stars uh, Clifton Collins Jr. and Quancy Brown, um, uh, as well as uh, uh, others. And, and Gil, I mean, what, what were your kind of views on this one? What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was it was really nice to see Dan Fogler in a film again as well because I hadn't seen him quite a while. I I thought everybody in the cast was was really good, but my particular favourite was the the Mongolian. Oh yeah, the man child oh. in the basement. Man child, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's great. He's he's also. I mean, like it's it's probably my my favorite moment in the movie and the one that makes me laugh the hardest is the one where he realizes he's in a basement and he's a child again. Right. Right. Like it's such like a sad thing to do to somebody. Yep. Like somebody has been possessed for 30 years. So like you're six years old and you wake up in a 36 year old man's body. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even know if I'm spoiling things for people, <laughs> but just that, that, that beat, I think is so terrible and so sad and so yep. funny. So, I mean, it's quite a stylized film in a lot of ways. It's, uh, I mean, there's there's some uh, direct to the camera uh, talk from from Lawrence at the start, uh, which is pretty cool. Oh. Um, I mean, what what were your kind of ideas behind doing that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's actually like that's that's like sort of the go to Hellbenders question. It's just like, what were you thinking? <laughs> uh, what were you playing at when you made that film? Yeah, <laughs> no, I really liked it. I really liked this yeah. that whole stylized kind of side of things. I was a Christian Slater fan back in the day as well, <laughs> so it's uh, that's all good. No, actually, I like I, I feel like we're we're actually sort of as an audience, we're we're so far past even like like everything that the French New Wave was doing in terms of trying to break film. We just accept as part of what the narrative is now. Yep. You know, like there's nothing in Hellbenders that's more stylistically adventurous than they've done in like the the Office. Sure. sure. You know, like 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 mainstream televised NBC bullshit entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know. Like, and that was it was a big part of sort of what I thought would be fun to do. The the, the from the start the movie, I just wanted it to be as fun to make and as fun to watch as possible. Okay. And so, so any technique that we could use in terms of, of narrative to like move the plot forward or get to know the characters or make things more interesting. I I wanted to keep in there. 
and the Quint uh, joke was pretty great as well, and the way that was presented was pretty groovy as well. Yeah, it's the comic book. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that was good. Um, Gil? I was just, Sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, yeah, the uh, comic books is something that we tend to always end up going back to at some point. So having sections of this film appear in a comic book style, that Clint joke was was just brilliant. And, you know, even if that isn't the actual reason why there are no superheroes called Clint, I'm really, really glad that it's in there. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there, there are no characters in comic books named Clint. Yeah, there are. Who? <laughs> I didn't want to say, but Clint Barton, Hawkeye. Fuck, so it is! Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> What's his last name? Uh, Barton. Clint Barton. 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 B-A-R-T-O-N. Uh, Hawkeye from the Avengers. Clint Barton. Yeah, I remember I remember Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've often thought the same, like the L and the I and stuff, but... That's funny. I'll have to look at some of my old Avengers comics, see if they bled together. Oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nonetheless. So, well, so, you know, Hellbenders takes place in an alternate universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. The DC guy... universe, obviously. Yeah, and that, and that guy was a cunt. Also, well, so that's in, that, in that alternate universe, the Avengers movie was awesome. There was no Hawkeye in it. it was... <laughs> Such a disappointing character, isn't he? You just think, what is the point was... of Jeremy Renner even being there? Just every once in a while, they, sh- they show him either not shooting an arrow or shooting an arrow and just doing one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah when, when the space whales attack and they've got like Hulk and a god and like this one-man army. Oh, and this guy who shoots arrows. Yeah, oh, he's, he's your, <laughs> he's your new, go-to you've guy. Got, you've got a new least favourite Avenger now, I'm thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That gun. So we're providing a public service. Yeah. Oh. It's so. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is one of those tangents, isn't it? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it might be. So yeah, I mean, you've got a great uh, team uh, in terms of, and the, the way they gel together is really natural as well. Did you do anything in terms of? How did you get the actors to gel like that? Because they they do seem quite natural in their in their company. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of that was, was honestly just hanging out in the place we were shooting, you know, we shot in an actual church in, in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and, and like, we were a small enough movie budget wise, you know, it's like, it's not like they were going to trailers or anything. Right. So when they weren't shooting, they were just going up into higher floors of the church and hanging out up there. Mm Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a pretty quick and dirty shoot, but, um, but I know, and and they were all just like a, a good group of guys. I mean, I, I think they there, there was a, a way they gelled that that was just kind of natural to who they were. Did Stephen ever commit any actual sins in your script? Because I can, I don't remember him doing any. Andrew uh, Royo's character. He's in the he's since in the movie with like I mean like so part of the gag in the movie um, is just that like sinning is not really that bad necessarily <laughs> right like like i think it's a remarkably innocent movie in a lot of ways sure. like there's I, I almost think of it as sort of like a saturday morning cartoon right if it right. wasn't so for like, the like, cunt joke then it, it could uh you could show it to kids but even that i mean like 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 the fact that we get insulted by dirty words is so ridiculous right sure. mm. i mean you know i mean i like I have this like seminal memory. Of, like, remember when the the Orson Welles Transformers cartoon came out the the movie and Spike mm-hmm. said uh, shit. 
Spike says shit. And I was in a theater when Spike said shit. And I so clearly remember a mom leaning to the next mom in the row in front of me and be, and saying something immediately like of like, I thought this was PG for the violence. Yep. You know, like she was totally cool with violence. But like as soon as we say a dirty word, like it's just like it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. So like so Stephen sins. I mean, you see him eating shrimp, <laughs> which is is completely, you know, disallowed according to Leviticus. All right. And, okay. and, and if you're if you're going by the book, uh-huh. you know, well, exactly, exactly. take the Lord's name in vain, like you're going to hell. It mixes his fabrics and things like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, cool. So, I mean, we now know that taking your kid to see Transformers is what leads to them making a film involving a fiery vaginal entry to hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So that might that be a warning to everybody. It's a shame that Orson Welles is dead because he could have voiced that, and that would have been beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've heard that the new Thor movie has its own uh, fiery vagina to hell in it. Ah, right. I, I actually saw that last night. Does it have a fiery vagina to hell? Uh, I think I spent most of my time just going, "This is Portal," because it's all they've they've got a a massive thing where it's. The, when all the worlds collide, that there's certain points where things you can you can travel from one one of the nine worlds to another one, but then if ah. you drop things, it falls back at a different place as well, and they're next to each other. And the entire end of the film is people having a fight, whilst Natalie Portman is basically controlling these spaces that drop into other universes. So it's just like she's she's playing Portal while there's a massive fight of gods going on okay (laughs) (laughs) i actually really enjoyed it but you do kind of go they've they've really enjoyed this uh cgi trip haven't they (laughs) i mean if they're gonna go for it they might as well go for it yeah i mean and, and a little bit of portal would improve a lot of things exactly well yeah when you've got a fight the that is just accidentally taking place through multiple universes at a time it it gets to the point where you've just you've your suspe- your disbelief is so suspended that you're just sitting there going <laughs> okay what this this is obviously just what's going to happen for the next 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. you know, he's going to punch but that guy and all of a sudden he's on a different planet <laughs> it almost sounds like that aha video it's it very a much like the aha video Yep. So, I mean, one of the great things about this film is about maybe 20 minutes into it where as much as Clint is uh, one of the kind of main antagonists in a way in, in the sense that he's there to shut the programme down, he's also he also serves quite a good focus as a kind of fish-out-of-water character that then allows you to uh, give a bit of exposition. Um, yeah, partly. I mean, I, I do like... I mean, so part of the gag of the movie is just that like actually, like like I, I'm not trying to shit on spirituality and like the, sort of like this you know universal belief that there is something beyond this life that has to be more meaningful. Sure. But as soon as you start to institutionalize that, you have to make it ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Like any set of kind of human imposed rules, mm-hmm. it's just it's just going to get like like suddenly you're going to start shitting on shellfish, sure, and and or or jerking off or whatever it is. Like it, it's like if there's all these things that God supposedly cares about mm-hmm. are going to be insane. Um, 
and and then obviously the sort of mechanically all the exposition stuff certainly doesn't hurt because mm -hmm. I, I do i mean that was sort of the the where the idea for the movie started from was this whole idea that you know every cliched exorcism movie follows william friedkin's example oh, oh. and says that like you know the priest can't cast the demon out so he takes it into himself yeah and then sacrifices himself to save the world um and i just love the idea of that being institutionalized <laughs> you know and then and in order to be possessed you know that main priest always has problems where like he's he's tempted by sin or he's he's has unresolved issues with his mother that causes him to sin but like his personal struggle with sin means that he is is vulnerable to possession Sure. So, like the, the church institutionalizing the idea that a big group of priests would intentionally make themselves vulnerable to possession by sin, I thought was really funny. Sure. I mean, are are you from a religious background yourself? Just, I mean, obviously the the, the religious themes kind of run through uh, borrowers as well. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, I'm American. Um, <laughs> got a lot of God in the country. Uh -huh. there's, there's, there's an amazing poll in the late nineties, uh, that found that more Americans believed in the devil than believe in an evolution. Sure. Um, they read that, that just poll like, recently as well, actually, that, uh, showed that, uh, over 40% of Americans still believe in demons, but don't necessarily believe in God. And that's awesome. That's a bit like believing in Ron <laughs> Weasley, but not believing in Harry Potter as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> No, actually, I mean, I, I did a decent amount of research into voodoo with a vague idea towards the story for a while. And I actually think, like, I mean, it's an it's an older religion, and and has a lot more to do with demons than it does with deities. Mm -hmm. And and one of the central tenets of it actually is that like any god, and this is me describing some other cultures, religions. So I'm going to sound like an asshole no matter what, but give it a <laughs> shot nonetheless. One of the ideas is that like any god that would create us is so far beyond us that we could never actually know them. Sure. But all of the demons that are at this like lower level below that God, that that God also created might be things that we could influence. Mm. And that's what all the sort of altars and shit are actually doing. And that sounds more reasonable to me than that one wrinkled old Charlton Heston dude, who, if we confess to this other guy might be good to us when we die. Right. Like it, it it's just like a, it seems more rational. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my background, I, I've, uh, I was raised through a variety of Protestantisms that involved a little bit of Catholic schooling because it was like the least stabby school in the neighborhood I lived in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I had a varied enough religious upbringing that I, I couldn't latch onto any individual one. Right, right. So I mean, that, that then plays out, I suppose, in the unity and the... Sorry, the Augustine order of it, the interfaith order. Yeah, the interfaith bit. Yeah. Well, of the course. interfaith bit, I think, is, is important. Like, it's it's such an American idea. Like, the, the whole freedom of religion thing kind of destroys religion. Right. Because every one of us is saying all the other ones are going to hell. <laughs> it, and you, it's, it makes it so much harder to believe when your neighbor is going to suffer eternal damnation for this, uh, yeah. you know, infinitely kind God you believe in. Sure. And I mean, Clancy Brown makes a great. Uh, Clancy Brown's character says something like, "Why would why would he keep us alive all this time? What a terrible waste of a son, or something like that." At one point, which I thought was great, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
No, I mean, I didn't want to take it take it too lightly. I mean, obviously, like I, the the point of the movie is fun. Sure. But I wasn't I wasn't trying to insult anybody's belief. No, of course. It feels relatively respectful, I have to say. It's a pro god film in the end, in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I couldn't imagine anybody being able to watch it and go, "Oh, I'm so insulted by this." You know, it's... yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they could. <laughs> but... yeah. I'm sure they could. But I'm in the UK and you're in America, so I know I've yeah, become, no, I've become more right wing uh, since moving here. <laughs> I mean, people people see the Harry Potter movies and think that the devil made them. Well, that's uh, I mean, there was that thing that it was like the Onion published a a thing about it being a gateway to witchcraft or something like that and then it was read out in churches uh, so th- that genuinely happened so well there's bizarre situations there is actually a, a website that i'm i'm sad to say that i actually had to register for just to check out what they say but it was actually it was pointed out to me by one of our listeners because i've had a really bad habit of mentioning man of steel recently and there's a a ministry-based website, which he really has. It's like every every episode, he seems to feel the need to mention Man of Steel. Oh, there's there's there is a, a website which does feature notes for sermons on how you can discuss Man of Steel. So was was this released in three D in the theaters then, uh, JT? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it got a release in about ten cities in America. Okay, got actually see it in three D, which is great. So was that a post production process, or did you do? Was that actually on set? It was shot in three D. It was shot in three D. Yeah. Ah, oh, fantastic. Was that the first time that you'd worked in that medium? It is. Yeah. And how how was that experience for you? Um, still theoretically awesome. <laughs> um, like, like there is so much that I do love about 3D and so much that I am enormously frustrated by in our execution of 3D so far, just like as a general medium. Right. Like, like it, it's such an easy target for movie geeks to be like 3D is always shitty. Uh-huh. Yeah. But like Avatar is a kind of terrible movie in 2D, uh-huh. but I totally buy into it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then movies like Gravity and Life of Pi. Sure are so much enormously better in 3D. Right. And the only thing that they're doing different from all of the other 3D movies that we're seeing from Hollywood blockbusters is that the camera is only 10 feet away from people. Sure. Um, and, and real life 3D experience comes from eyes that are about an inch and a half apart. And so if you're looking at giant robots standing on the edge of a city a half mile away, or you're looking at giant spaceships in space, you're looking at giant anything and giant CG anything, the 3D is is fundamentally false because sure, sure. you're too far away from it to have honest parallax. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you get into something like gravity, you're suddenly seeing the curvature in the face inside of the helmet and and fog on the breath of the visor is different planes. And like like all of this this kind of detail and intimacy that makes you that much closer to it, that makes it that much more of a subjective experience. Mm-hmm. Um and and so like and, and, and like I can talk in these high fluting terms about three D generally, but Hellbenders boils down to dick jokes and gross out humor. <laughs> and 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 even there though, like I think that that kind of intimacy makes it so much better, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're that much closer to somebody's toe getting bitten off, or or that much closer to somebody getting pass out drunk, like you're seeing the textures involved that much better. Sure. And, and I think that's so much more interesting.
very few things make me wince, but having a toe bitten off, I was like, oh my god, no. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, I always feel like small violence is more effective at some level. Sure. Um, but 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 then the other side of it, of course, is that like, you know, we're shooting with a fucking seventy pound camera on location in New York. Yep. So like the camera would not fit through doorways. Uh, the camera could not get closer to the ground than a foot and a half, you know, the right. length of the camera. Um, you know, the, we were losing about a stop and a half of light through the mirror box. Mm-hmm. Right. So shooting night exteriors, our tiny indie budget lighting package isn't strong enough to, to you know, illuminate the scene. So then I'm either trying to budget removing lights in CG and post-production or we're moving the camera closer, you know, so, so, so it, there's, there's like a huge philosophical love for 3d. Right. Uh, and I love the idea of making like a small intimate gross out comedy in 3d in New York. Yeah. Um, but then there was all this sort of practical, practical stuff um, and, and sort of limitations of 3d and like not being able to move the camera around uh, that, that kind of killed me. Absolutely. So, I mean, a, a few things that this kind of brought to mind in terms of, uh, I suppose, this film, and I don't know if, if you'd be in any way influenced by these things, but it kind of brought to mind a lot of the kind of grindhouse uh, stuff and the, the kind of the modern takes on that. Uh, it seemed to recall some of that. Also seemed to recall uh, bits of trauma. Um, are, only, are any of those things in any way um, related to what you're interested in? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, sure. honestly, like I was, I was thinking more about. Um, I mean, I, so like the trauma movies are all stuff I grew up on, and like the, God, was it like Blue Moon Productions or Full Moon Productions? Full Moon, yeah, yeah Full Moon. <laughs> you know, like I watched a shit ton of Full Moon when I was a kid, um, and 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 it was somewhere between like Full Moon and like the the Saturday morning cartoons. Honestly, were huge in this one because right, they are kind right. of like. Like I, I, I would actually when we were talking with the wardrobe and the production designer, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times we'd bring up Spider Man and his amazing friends, or we'd bring up Ninja <laughs> Turtles. Um, it's like yeah, it's like every every minister's got to have a different colored stole, right? You know, like they're, <laughs> they're not comic Ninja Turtles, we're TV Ninja Turtles. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, and like the modern Grindhouse stuff, like maybe a little bit, but but honestly, that not that much. I mean, because right. like Grindhouse stuff. Like, like there, there is, there is a version of Hellbenders that would just be like, as as openly, gruesomely sinful as possible. Like, just kind of titillatingly gross and trying to make you uncomfortable. Right. Um, but I feel like if you go down that route, you lose whatever whatever little character bits you are going to have. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas if you look at something, I mean, like like Big Lebowski is way too obvious a reference, but I think it's an awesome balance between ridiculous characters but you're still like pretty sad when donnie dies sure yeah um and like and like having that kind of mix of like like yes they're drunken wrecks and they're trying to misbehave but not that good at it (laughs) but they're guys you could hang out with um and and just like that that was sort of the mix i wanted to have more than the grindhouse thing yeah sure i was just the guy in the full body cast kind of brought to mind a lot of trauma stuff and like the guy just getting up to to try and have a fight with somebody in a full body cast just amused me (laughs) yeah totally totally so what's next for yourself jt what's what are your next uh projects um, I mean, I, I've got two games that I'm working on right now, uh, oh, wow. and about to start a bunch of TV stuff. 
So um, what are the games? That, well, you're working on the DLC for Outlast, you were saying. Yeah. Um, so what's that content going to be like? Um, it's. I mean, it's going to be another episode. It'll be. It'll be more of the Outlast story. Sure. Um, yeah. and and we're actually. I mean, it's like the. Yeah, I spent twelve hours today. I'll do it tomorrow, figuring out what the story actually is. Great. Okay. Um, but but these guys are actually amazing in, in the fact that like I'm here working with the team, which mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's bizarre on games. Like from game to game, the interaction changes enormously. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this one's great fun. I'm doing a Walking Dead game, um, with some guys out in California. Ah, oh, fantastic! Then, wow. Yeah, and then a handful of TV projects. Um, okay. Which are, are great fun. It's, it's also interesting just because like TV feels a little bit freer and looser in terms of genre right now. Right, yeah. Like, well, kids, the way people are, are kind of like playing with stuff and and you can get into you know all the wh- whatever themes you like and really kind of chew into them. Mm-hmm. So it's fun stuff. I mean, I've only really seen three of your movies uh, so far. I think it's quite clear that you're doing very very different stuff in each one um none of the films feel like they've been written and directed by the same person almost (laughs) and they they feel completely different but in a really really good way um you should read my children's books ah (laughs) seriously do you honestly write children's books uh i haven't in a couple years all right okay Uh, oh give, give us a line from one of your kids books God, I couldn't remember a line. You must have a favourite line. There is a, there's a line at the back of your head that you're going, I should say that one. You know, I honestly don't. I, I, I honestly, like, I, I my, my favourite thing that somebody said about creative works recently was Alfonso Cuaron's comment about old movies, where, where he said that everybody talks about their old movies like they're, they're your kids. You know, there's these things that you raised and released into the world. Yeah. He's yep. like, yeah, but like a kid, you still want to know what they're doing. <laughs> like, and, and 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 the way he wanted to talk about his other movies were that they were like ex ex wives <laughs> that like they had loved each other they had their time they gave each other what they could and they never wanted to see each other again. Cool. And I think it's it's the only healthy way to react to creative things that you've made. Because yeah. <laughs> the last thing I see is like my own historian. Sure. And, and you go to a couple of horror conventions and you see the guys who are their own historians. Yep. Yep. And it gets sad fast. Well, that's cool that you're continuing to move on, man. It's awesome. Yep. Um, if people want to check it, Sandman is on Netflix. The Burrows was on Netflix. It's not now, for some reason. Well, it's not on streaming. I think you can get yeah. it on disc, right? I, I don't know about that. I don't, we, we only get Instant Watch in the UK. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, and Hellbenders you can get through Amazon, iTunes, various rental places as well. So yeah, that's will be out on DVD in February. Yep, and Software Digging you can buy direct from yourself. And yep, yep, you go to softwaredigging.com. Awesome, man. Well, JT, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you, guys. So thank you very much, and we'll be back after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh, my God, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's, it's... <laughs> 
a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at Devour the Pod podcast.blogspot.com Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. Okay guys, um, so we're back and that was JT Petty, the director of Hellbenders and um, The Burrows. Both fantastic movies and we really encourage you to check them out. Sandman as well. I know Gil, you've not had a chance to check that one out. Um, but that was really good. That was really cool. So thanks very much to JT for, for agreeing to be with us. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I think he's, he did say that I could just go down my usual He's on record. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much to, to JT for agreeing to speak to us. We really appreciate it. And you should definitely check out his work. Um, I mean, just kind of uh, before we move on, I think it's really interesting how diverse those three films are. The three films that, that I have seen uh, by him are, all three of them are incredibly different films, um, but each of them is excellent in my opinion. I mean, I loved Sandman. I get such a kick out of that film. Um, Burrows, a completely different type of film, um, and Hellbenders, again, um, just a really interesting piece of work. Completely different, again, and uh, so I highly recommend his work so far in terms of what we've seen. So thank you very much to JT for, for joining us. Uh, it was really appreciated. Yep. So Gil, possibly worth moving on now to discuss Starship Troopers. Yeah, I've been so looking forward to talking about Starship Troopers. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, simmer down. Uh, we can't have that. Um... <laughs> I'm going to be using the mute button on my mic so much. Just... Just going like, no, you can't just shout at him. <laughs> it is awesome. It's brilliant from start to finish. Well, I didn't tell you my opinion yet, so let's just uh, let's let's introduce it and we can take it from there. Yeah, if you say anything negative about it, I'll just be shouting medic. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay, um, so Starship Troopers from 1997 uh, was directed by uh, Paul Verhoeven. And it was written by Ed Neumeyer, uh, Luke Beeson, and Robert Mark Kamen, and based on the book by uh, Gil, you'll be able to be able to tell me. Uh, uh, oh, Robert, Robert, Hain- Robert Hemline. He- oh. Robert Heinlein. <laughs> Robert Robert's Hemline. <laughs> there we go, Robert Heinlein. Um, so yeah, so it's based on a book by Robert Heinlein. Um, and it stars Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico, Dina Mayer as Dizzy Flores, Denise Richards as Carmen Ibanez, Jake Busey as Ace Levy, Neil Patrick Harris as Carol Jenkins, and Quancy Brown as Sergeant Zim. Gil, can you do the synopsis? <laughs> In the future, Earth has become a spacefaring federation. While colonising new planets, humans have crossed paths with an insectoid race known as the Arachnids, or 
bugs. Ooh, scary. <laughs> With their home being the distant world Clandathu. The bugs appear to be little more than killing machines, though there are suggestions that they were provoked by the intrusion of humans into their habitats. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um... If only our... that's what dot, dot, dot meant whenever people <laughs> post it on Facebook. <laughs> Instead of it being, I don't know about that, dot, 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 it was, I don't know about that, bum, 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 bum. bum. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, the film starts out uh, following three primary characters and then kind of branches out from that. So we start off with uh, Johnny Rico, uh, Carl Jenkins and Carmen Ibanez. So that's Casper Van Dien, uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Denise Richards. Inventor um, of the Ibanez guitar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Rico, uh, Johnny Rico, who's the inventor of the Rickenbacker. No, he's an inventor of the Johnny. <laughs> See, I kept it within the guitar theme. Come on. Well, sorry. <laughs> so, Did... yeah, so they, they are at school. They're uh, school uh, school students who are um, who are clearly friends and clearly have a kind of good relationship with each other. That, um, well, there's obviously a, a kind of relationship or a aspiring relationship between Johnny Rico and uh, Carmen I- Ibanez and it starts out quite fun they're getting the results that will enable them to move up into their careers within the military um, and move into service and um, so that's that's the kind of jumping on point um, it's a kind of critical point in their lives where they're going to decide where they're where they're going to go and where their futures are going to take them. But also, military service guarantees citizenship. Sure. That's, yep. uh, so that's, that's one of the key, key themes that's rammed home at this point, um, is, well, school, in that sense, is, is pretty much a recruiting ground uh, for the military. Yep. Yep. Um, and... From that perspective, we we're kind of we follow uh, Johnny's pro. I mean, Johnny is the the kind of he's he's all he's the lead protagonist in some respects. Um, but Gil, you were you were saying earlier you made a really interesting point that he's almost just just there to kind of show the process by which um, this character is, uh, or rather any character. He's a kind of everyman type character who's dragged through the process of becoming a. Uh, a military recruit. He's he's not even that highly thought of, in my opinion. He's a linking device. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. You know, because it's like we have to see the recruitment phase. Uh huh. We have to see the training phase. Yep. He then becomes a corporal. Sure. He then becomes a sergeant. Right. And that he then becomes a lieutenant because you have to. You have to see this uh, progression through the military. Otherwise, all you'd be left with is just a grunt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they they want you to, even though you don't get massive glimpses into decision-making or anything, but Mm -hmm. you do 
you do get to see how quickly you can progress in the military just by being second in command and having first in command die. Right, right. <laughs> it's a very, very quick <laughs> ladder yep. that he's going up. There's there's only four steps. <laughs> so, so Johnny moves from, well, he moves straight into the mobile infantry group. Starts off in the basement. Uh-huh. Thinking about the government. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and his love interest, his original love interest, anyway, uh, Carmen, moves straight to becoming a pilot. Yep, she goes to the fleet. Sure. Um, and his friend Carl moves into military intelligence, which also has a kind of psychic element to it. Yeah. Or extrasensory perception element yeah. to it, right? Yeah, because Carl has been... Uh, you see him like testing Johnny on like what's this card and he he gets it right so so seldom that it's <laughs> it's it's statistically uh-huh. probable that he would have been more successful by now. Right, absolutely. And of absolutely. course, Carl can even uh, he influences a ferret at one point. Yep, to run up and. What, is it bite his his mother or something like that? To, to run up her inner thigh, right? And then you hear a kind of like a a Warner Brothers, yep. type <laughs> scream. <laughs> if only they'd called him Thomas. Yep, <laughs> Thomas, Thomas. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and at the same time, we're introduced to well, matter of well than that, we're introduced to Dizzy, and um, who is. Kind of into Johnny, I suppose, um, and we're kind of at the start. We're we're kind of given to dislike her and to view her as a kind of, I don't know, and um, quite negative terms as a person who's just just kind of, I don't know, potential um, homewrecker. Oh uh-huh, yeah, more more in that kind of sense. And and Carmen was was supposed to kind of understand her as being the primary love interest in Johnny's. Uh, in Johnny's life, um, but that that changes as the film progresses, and we kind of become mo- much more sympathetic towards Dizzy. Thanks uh, to and, Xander as well. Uh-huh. Yep, and much less sympathetic to Carmen over time. Yeah, really unsympathetic to Denise Richards to the point that now, whenever I watch a film that she's in, just her portrayal of Carmen Ibanez is going to play <laughs> in the back of my mind. I'm thinking she's going to do something really horrible in a minute. <laughs> You know, everything's going really well between them, and then she's going to meet this other guy that's a wee bit honky, and then she's going to turn around and go, actually, come to think of it, you're a bit too stupid for me. Right. That's right. why That's why things can never work between us, Johnny. Yeah. I love, so, I, mean, <laughs> I love the Dear John, like, like video she sends him. Uh-huh, yep. It is literally Dear John. <laughs> so, I mean, at the start, we, the, the, as the three... Uh, main characters separate to their their own kind of disciplines and their own fields of of work. They make a pledge that they're going to remain friends forever, which you know could could have been a lot more kind of uh, sickly sweet and uh, in terms of the way that it was played out. And I kind of half expected it to play out very in a in a quite kind of sickly sweet way. Um, but in actual fact, it. it confounds those expectations a wee bit because the the characters obviously well as we've said Carmen betrays Johnny 
um, in that sense. And when we return to her as a character, we definitely don't feel that that relationship's likely to, to still be there. And when we return to Carl later on as well, he has taken on... I mean, in the way, the, the, the way that his uniform looks even, it's it's reminiscent of the SS. Um, he, looks, he looks like a fascist, and he speaks <laughs> he speaks like a fascist as well. His, his dialogue is fascistic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Gal, do you want to take it from there? Uh, well, I was uh, just thinking, like, we, we get some fantastic stuff from the, the training of the mobile infantry. I'd, I'd say the, yeah. the the biggest chunk of this film uh-huh. is the mobile infantry training, where yeah. we've got Clancy Brown as mm-hmm. as Zim, mm-hmm. and he is he is brilliant and brutal. But, yeah, he's a uh, he's like a, a proper hard nut. Uh-huh. But uh, everything that happens in this film, uh-huh. it's well. The entire finale of this film, it's all the fault of one character. What? <laughs> what? It's, it's all Carmen's fault. Really? Everything that happens is Carmen's fault. Oh, man. Right, explain this. Right, uh, we have the fantastic bit where we see Johnny doing really well at boot camp. And right. then... He's about to take a, a walk down washout lane because he's accidentally caused somebody to die and he's packing his stuff up. Then gets news from home that Buenos Aires has been wiped off the map by a, a meteor that was sent there by the bugs. But five minutes before that, we have a scene of Carmen being a bit of a smart ass going, I've reprogrammed the. T- the trajectory. I think you'll find our passage will be faster now. And then they are in an asteroid field, and they they hit an asteroid and just bump it slightly. Right. Uh-huh. I think that's the asteroid that wipes out Buenos Aires. Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic! Wow. It's, it's all her fucking fault. <laughs> and the, the fact that the whole basic story is about the fact that that humans as a race are starting to branch out into the universe and they're going, right. this planet looks really nice, let's put like a pleasure place here. Uh-huh. But the it shows you that the bugs kind of propagate by firing their spore off into space. You know, kind of seemingly randomly, but maybe targeted at these planets that have never had anybody on them. The humans just want to stop the bugs doing that because it's like their their new pleasure ground. So the bugs have never fired anything at Earth because it's too fucking far away. The thing that makes people think the bugs have attacked Earth is the fact that Carmen nudged an asteroid. That is insane. Wow. <laughs> there it is. My yeah, goodness! It's all her fault. Wow. Yeah. So do you think that do you think that ties in with Paul Verhoeven's kind of broad themes that he was trying to, to touch on? The war makes fascists of us all. Sure. Oh, that's yeah, that's like what he described this film as, and I, I think mm-hmm. that it 
very much does because one thing that we haven't really mentioned about this film which is one of my favorite things mm-hmm. is the continual use of the propaganda so all the way through the film you, you see these uh, great would you like to know more segments um of propaganda yeah and it's it's really it's targeted propaganda that is that is ramming it down the populace's throat the the sure. bugs are somehow against them uh-huh. and the the whole thing that's fascistic about the human race is that the bugs aren't against them right it's the humans that have decided to get rid of the bugs because mm-hmm. they they like where the bugs live you know they don't particularly right. like uh, okay. they don't like Clendathu. mm-hmm but they like like uh, Zagama Beach, uh-huh. which it's no longer there anymore, and everything. And it's you're the fact that the bugs are supposedly attacking the humans is never actually shown because the only time mm-hmm. that you ever really see the bugs is in a completely defensive maneuver, right? And it just makes me think of the whole. Uh, like the British Empire in India, where sure. they're supposedly going there to educate the savages. Yep, okay, uh-huh. But they're not going there to educate the savages, they're going there to steal the tea and the diamonds and <laughs> everything, you know, it, but you need an ex- okay. you need an excuse. Right, right. So their excuse is that the bugs are attacking the humans, whereas in actual fact, the bugs never actually attack the the humans at all in the film yeah. I, I don't think I think the very interesting I, I think the that Carmen's asteroid is responsible for what becomes the final big push on planet P there we go so how I fucked mean, up is that yeah it's pretty <laughs> fucked up it's pretty fucked up okay so I mean the final battle with the the brain bug I suppose ends with the brain bug being captured um, and there's a sequence where Neil Patrick Harris reads its mind and says, you know, it's afraid, which could be read either read in two ways. I mean, that could be seen as, um, you know, a cry for more understanding and rather than trying trying to understand uh, the bug's actions as being defensive um, rather than being aggressive. But the way that it's actually portrayed on the film and and the film is um, that he has read its mind, it's afraid, and then it's very much that the the gloating because a cheer goes up in the crowd. Everybody's you know going nuts about that um, and saying yeah we've we've defeated these guys and and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So it's uh, we we got the bad guy type type thing. Uh, so I mean, there's there's clear messages being put across there, and it's uh, I think they seem to be quite different from the type of messages that were put forward by the book. Is that correct, Gil? Well, the I haven't read the book, but the accusations right. of the book are uh-huh. that it is it's quite racist. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it's utopianistic, it's mm-hmm. fascistic and it's uh, militaristic mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Verhoeven supposedly has never even finished the book ah, right. okay. because, he, uh-huh. because he found it kind of distasteful for those reasons very interesting <laughs> but, quite, 
what's even more interesting is that apparently it was required reading if you were uh, on the crew for Aliens. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And you can see where that kind of comes in there because you've got a hive of uh-huh. basically insects. Sure. So, yeah, it's, it's a book that isn't recommended, but it's a film that is. Mm. <laughs> From what I can tell. And there, sadly, there have been sequels. <laughs> well, I think the fact that it's called Hero of the Federation, the first sequel, um, you know, says a lot about the film. Yeah. You know, there's, there's three sequels. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> Yeah, I I did try to watch one of them. Uh-huh. Sure. I I can't remember if I just got so bored that I switched it off or if I got so bored that I fell asleep. Uh-huh. Sure. But, you know, I think the the original is one of those mm-hmm. films that if I change channel when I'm trying to find something to watch and it's on, <laughs> which is quite likely to happen to be honest. Yeah. I'll be like, I'll, I'll watch Starship Troopers. It's a sure. It's a damn good film, and I I like the way that it it handles the fascistic element in such a kind of parodic way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I just like the fact that it's always just it's showing all of this, but it's, at the same time, it's kind of just poking fun at it, and it's going, look how fucking ludicrous this is. Sure. This is what we could become. These mm-hmm. are the excuses that we could rely on. And I I think that since 1997, mm-hmm. it has, it's almost become even funnier because mm-hmm. it's, it's exactly what we're starting to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Put it down. But I do also uh, always watch it because I kind of fancy Dizzy Flores. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, the the use of propaganda and even a, a kind of, you know, in a kind of abstract way, uh, the, the use of propaganda that's that's not just in the, uh, on TV or that's not just advertisements and it's not just what's being taught in schools, but all the subtle stuff, all the kind of little bits and pieces that influence culture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Starship Triples successfully... It kind of touches on all those points in little tiny ways, and the the thing was there's a great kind of gif that's online, and it's like um, all of these kind of uh, all the imperial troopers coming through the streets, saying, "Look, guess what? This isn't what uh, world. This isn't how World War Two started. This isn't how the Nazis rose to power. Nazis rose to power in a very very subtle way through culture." Yeah. Um, and through, so I mean the <laughs> the interesting thing that comes out of Starship Troopers is that it's it's um, it's that kind of cultural warfare that's uh, just as important as as your kind of propaganda. Um, all that stuff's much equally as important and equally as as valuable and <laughs> as dangerous. It starts off in a beer hall. Sure. <laughs> that's that's where it all starts. Yep. Okay, guys. Well, um, I think it's a recommend from both of us. Um, it's an interesting film. Um, yeah. And it's it's, it's dated badly. I think I think we can both agree that it's dated fairly poorly in terms of in, in, in a lot of respects. Would you agree with that? No. 
No, oh well. But I, 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 also, I also don't think that Robocop is dated badly. I don't think Robocop's dated that badly, but I think this has dated poorly in the same way that Event Horizon has perhaps dated poorly, um, in the sense that I absolutely love Event Horizon, but there's still effects in it that, that kind of date it to the early 90s, the, 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 the mid-90s, um, and this has a similar feel to it in that respect from my point of view. Yeah, I can see some of the effects... You know, at the time you went, oh my god, that's brilliant. And now you kind of go, oh yeah, that's expected. Yeah, sure. But sure. I, even though we haven't really spoken much about Zim, mm-hmm. Clancy Brown in this, awesome as always. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got quite a cool, um, he's got quite a cool uh, arc as well from that side. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's got a nice finale. Uh-huh. That we won't say anything about in case anybody spoil. hasn't seen it, but oh. <laughs> but I, I I think it would be fun if people did watch it again just for the just for the bumping of the asteroid. Yep, absolutely. Because so I'm certainly going to go back and, and rewatch it. Because the asteroid does also take out the communications tower, meaning they can't even tell anyone the asteroid is heading that way. Ah, there we go. And oh. then by the time they've kind of limped up to the fleet. Mm-hmm. The asteroids hit the Earth, and you know, they've probably not even thought. Wait a minute, we hit an asteroid <laughs> when we were where we shouldn't have been. Sure. Okay, guys. Um, so we'll take a short break, and then we'll be back to close out the show. We'll be back after this. Howdy, folks. Like blood, violence, freaks, you come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. Oh, slaps. That's not very nice. The only rules, well... Let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Okay, so Gil, uh, back to close out the show, as we, we often do. Um... Yep. <laughs> Remember that show where we forgot to close it? And... <laughs> it was on for ages. The lights were on all night, it cost us a fortune. And nobody was home. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I think I put all your lights on. No, <laughs> you fucking better not. I haven't. Oh, but I did. No, don't don't turn the heat on. I did open all the windows though. <laughs> Very good. Okay. And left a wee, <laughs> left a wee note saying, "Please don't break in. There's nobody home for a fortnight." No. Um, I suppose that the other news that's important for people that that enjoy our show is. Um, to know that to note that we are now members of 
a new podcasting network. Um, Horophilia, uh, kind of, they've they've started to limit the the podcasts that they are uh, they're working with to those that are that were originally on the Horophilia network and those that were hosted by the Horophilia podcast network. We have always retained our own uh, hosting. So we've kind of finished uh, that relationship with uh, Jason, but very much amicably. The same can be said for all the other podcasts that, that retained uh, hosting. They've also kind of split off from Horophilia, but we're still great friends with the Horophilia network. But we've started a new network with Mr. Anders Jr. Um, of the Villa podcast. So David uh, has set up a new website um, and it's called the League of Extraordinary Podcasts. Um, so you can find out uh, more about that by visiting LOE Podcasts, L-O-E podcasts.blogspot.com. Um, and we're members along with the Villa podcast, Movicopia, uh, Midnight Horror Show, um, podcast under the stairs, teapots for short, cinema beef, um, so evil episodes. Basically, the a lot of podcasts that were that people that listen to this show will probably be very aware of anyway. Um, it's not so, L. It's not LX podcast. It's not. I'm afraid it's LOE podcasts dot mm. blogspot dot com. Wait a minute. I'm just. Uh... I'm just typing up a message to Alan Moore just now saying, you should change your abbreviation <laughs> to L-O-E, gentlemen. You take that up. And, that and send. <laughs> so, yes. So, we've joined that podcast network. We're very delighted to be be doing that uh, and you can check out all the shows uh, by visiting loepodcast.vlogspot.com It's a new uh, chapter Yeah, it's a new chapter um, It'd be awesome Yeah, absolutely um, And incestuous And incestuous, it always has been so that's cool uh, Gil, is there anything else that you'd like to add uh, to the end of the show? Oh uh, Fish sticks Fish sticks? Fish sticks. I've I've got a big box of fish sticks in my freezer. <laughs> sounds, yeah. sounds like a nineteen eighties rap song, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. Not a very good one. <laughs> probably done by the fat boys. Fish is my favourite dish. See, I'm down with the kids. Um, yeah. Who, who's so... your? Uh, I seem to remember that you've moved on from uh, falling in reverse. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't remember, but the, the, there's an, another band, oh, what they call Broken Side, <laughs> and they make uh, Fallen in Reverse look like a legitimate act. <laughs> but I think I think Broken Side are too easy a target, to be honest. They're like one of these kind of bizarre bands that got famous through MySpace. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, check them out if you've not seen them. It's pretty pretty bizarre. <laughs> There's another, there's another group that I was looking at just recently. The Antwerd. Uh, what is that? Sorry. Is it the Antwerd? No. What are they like? Uh, they're a South African rap act. Right. And what's I, it like? I think you'd like them. Right. <laughs> I think you would. I think you should uh, check out. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Fatty something. Right. Uh, the the group that I was looking at was uh, Fake Shark Real Zombie. 
and they're huge. And I think the guy has written songs for like Taylor Swift and stuff like that. Um, and I looked them up purely because of the name, because I like uh, obviously because I like Zombie, um, and that the, the name kind of references that. Um, I've actually got a folder full of songs that I've written for Taylor Swift. <laughs> It's it's basically just the same song, but I've just changed the name of the male celebrity for when she breaks yeah. up with them. I I have to say I love Taylor Swift. I really like the stuff that she's done so far, and I love her voice. So I'm not really. Gonna... <laughs> I think I'd be. I, I, I've got a vested interest. I think she's great. <laughs> You've got a sitting in your vest and pants interest. <laughs> no, I do. I think she's really good. I think she's great at what she does. So it's kind of I kind of really criticise her to be honest. Well, but this uh, fake shark reel zombie are pretty atrocious. It's um, it's pretty bad. I'm gonna buy you a present. Please don't. No, it's uh, Poundland have started selling this kind of unofficial book about the artist, and they've got one on Taylor Swift. Oh wow! Thank you, Gil. They've got no, Bruno, Bruno Mars one as well. If you want, <laughs> can what buy me a loaf of bread instead? That be a lot more useful. Um... <laughs> I got home from America, and Gil said that he would leave me some provisions. There was. A... <laughs> Girls Allowed's autobiography was in the fridge. There it is. A can of iron brewing some tissues. Oh, you don't want me to get dehydrated, right? No. Or to make a mess of that lovely couch. (laughs) Sorry. My couch is anything but lovely. I I meant to say further mess. (laughs) Right. On that note... When, um, when I check your flat, I don't sit down. <laughs> right. So, guys, thank you very much indeed for listening once again. Um, next week, we're going to be discussing insert blank here, insert information here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why so that'll be really interesting. Why don't you think of an idea right now and we'll just have to suffer through it? <laughs> I don't think it's time for Twilight Week yet, so I think I think we're right, we're going to work up. To that. I started watching the Hunger Games. Hunger Games, right? Okay, no. I'm sure we'll think of something. So, guys, thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Bodacious Horror and at Gil Rockitansky. Sure. And if you want to find any more information, you can check us out at uh, bodacioushorror.co.uk, where you'll find our Facebook page, our Twitter pages, and you can listen to the most recent show on Stwit- on Stitcher. Switcher, Stitcher. Stitcher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And listen back to previous episodes as well uh, through that. So, guys, thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you all next week. And I'll do a magic trick. Bye. Roscoe, think of a card. <laughs> right. Is it a birthday card? I have to say it was. Yay! Bye. <laughs> That's magic.